Welcome to Fanboy and the Hater, a podcast hosted and produced by Mike Hall and Jim Harris, where we discuss the best and worst in movies, TV, and pop culture, edited by Jim Harris, and music by Mike Hall. These are the voyages of the podcast Fanboy and Hater. And this episode will boldly go where no episode has gone before. We're talking about Star Trek. So, Mike, you have been pushing for me to do an episode on Star Trek pretty much since we started the podcast. So before we tell our audience what I actually made you watch today and what we're going to talk about, what are your general thoughts on Star Trek? Boring. I've tried to watch a few episodes of Star Trek, and people always talk about how awesome it is, and I try to watch it, like, I understand what it is about it that people like, at least I think I do, then I try to watch it, and I'm like, oh, move on, just go, why is this 45 minutes, it could be 5 minutes, just be done, and that's my thought on Star Trek. What is it that you think people like it for? You said you think you can understand why people like it, why do you think people like Star Trek? The science and the just being thought-provoking. So kind of like I say, Star Wars, people like the big thing that brought people into Star Wars is the conversation that happens about Star Wars. And with Star Trek, I think it's the conversation of how could that be possible or what would that actually be like or could that actually happen? So if you were to try to take Star Wars and bring it into boring political reality, that would be Star Trek. Oh, you mean like the prequels? (laughs) (laughs) Like the Phantom Menace. But no, I think I understand your point, though. I mean, science fiction in general is usually a cheat for writers to take on otherwise challenging topics that are difficult to approach uh, directly. Like we do with this podcast, we generally stay away from getting into political issues that would be borderline drifting away from what we like to talk about on the podcast. And in fiction, in television and movies, science fiction allows people to cheat by saying, well, it's not now, like in the case of Star Trek, it's the future. Or instead of having uh, something about a racial divide, oh, it's an alien race, a species from another planet. It's an allegory for something that we talk about in everyday life, but it's not really. So if we offend you, it doesn't count because it's space aliens. And that allows them to be more comfortable and open up and have and bring people into conversations. It's like, huh, what would that actually be like? Or again, even when it is more directly human related, oh, it's the future or one possible interpretation of the future. Yeah. Well, like you said, you've been very detailed explaining to me the fandom of Star Trek throughout this. And one of the things you keep saying is there's a there's a divide on that's not feasible. That's not humans what the way humans act and, and stuff like that. And like you say and one of the first things that I said, I'm like, well yeah, but this is the future where the culture is completely different. You're basing on today's culture and today's people, not what you say, four hundred years in the future people. 
with such advanced technology that the stuff that we fight about now is irrelevant. The stuff that we fight about now is irrelevant, and that's why a lot of people don't like it. They think it's too idealized and too unrealistic because the thing that happens in the Star Trek universe is it's set after World War III. So there actually is a World War III where we basically almost destroy the entire planet and most of the major cities and wipe out a significant percentage of the Earth's population. So humanity did go down a darker hole than we're in right now. And then we found a way to emerge from that through the discovery of the fact that we're not alone in the universe by meeting people from another planet and then beginning a century-long journey to actually improving human society. But because Star Trek jumps ahead to even like when the original series that came out in the 60s is even a century beyond that. So it's like beyond after we we fixed all of those societal problems and all those things that we fight over now. So what would it be like then? And so many people have had a, people who don't like Star Trek have had a hard time with it because they criticize it for making it seem like it was too easy to get there because most of Star Trek doesn't really show you the long, difficult road to the starting point that the series starts at. Yeah, they don't show the transition. Right. Between World War III that we're almost at and where they're at. Correct. Fair enough. So that's why a lot of people tend to not like it. And then, again, just in general, I can only comment on the older stuff. Like, there are new Star Trek shows on the CBS streaming services, like Star Trek Discovery and Picard, that I can't comment on because I have not seen them. So I do know that they have a tendency to be more like some of the things I'll raise in this episode. But Star Trek also would occasionally get criticized for being too clean, too neat, too idealized, unrealistic. And a lot of stuff, especially the television series, happens through exposition. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of talking. Even the action itself is sometimes simply narrated. And that's just not a very active show. And it's not going to be for everybody. Even for some science fiction fans, some science fiction fans think Star Trek is boring too. Yeah. I just have found it funny that throughout this whole time when I've been saying, hey, you're so passionate about Star Trek, we should talk about Star Trek. And you've just been so hesitant to talk about a show that is talking. Yes, that is kind of funny that I don't want to talk about a show that's about talking. Star Trek, though, also has a weird place in my fandom is... It's been away for a while. Like, the most recent Star Trek movies I don't like. The movies that were done by J.J. Abrams, that was a rebooting of the franchise to bring Star Trek into a modern-day audience to make it more action-oriented. Right, because they're good, so you don't like them. I don't like them because I don't like J.J. Abrams, but I also don't like that vision of Star Trek because that's not Star Trek to me. But I understand why people like those movies. But the other thing that makes it difficult is the other series and movies have been away for a while. Like the movie we're going to be talking about in a minute is 25 years old. So unlike some other franchises like Star Wars, there's more recent material to look at. So I'm more active in Star Wars fandom because there's more stuff more recently made to consume. Again, the more recent Star Trek stuff I haven't seen That's why I'm not as much of a, I don't talk about, that's why I've had a hesitancy. It's just like, I have to go back and sort of revisit stuff. I've been sort of like a a lapsed Star Trek fan for a while because there hasn't been a lot of new content available or even the new content that's available, I haven't consumed it. Fair enough. I've been pulled more into 
revitalizing Star Wars. It's kind of like my Star Wars fandom before the prequels, and then my Star Wars fandom before the sequel trilogy. There were those lulls, and now we're in this Mm -hmm. Star Wars everything happening. And then also the other thing that flooded into the nerd valley of fandom is all of the superhero stuff that just exploded, which has taken everyone, which is drawing everyone's attention there. So that's why I don't, I honestly don't think about Star Trek very often. I started to rewatch some of the older series in preparation for doing this recording, and I still enjoy them. But I don't really think about it very often, as as opposed to other things like Star Wars. All right, fair enough. So what we're actually going to do today. So so Mike has seen the J.J. Abrams movies and like those. You've seen some here and there. You've seen some of the other TV series, like at least the one that we watched today, the Next Generation series with, with Jean-Luc Picard. You've yeah. seen a few of those episodes, right? Yeah, I, yeah and I have no idea where they fit in timeline. I've just happened to catch a few episodes here and there. Have you seen anything else? Like, have you ever seen any of the classic Trek stuff with, with, with James T. Kirk? Either the TV series or the movies? Not well enough to remember. Okay. So I was trying to figure out, as we've said before on the podcast, Mike doesn't like to watch a lot of television shows, in part because he doesn't have the time, especially when it would be just a giant number of episodes. Because these are series going back 20 plus years where they were network television shows. So a season is like 22 to 26 episodes. And most of the shows have seven seasons. So it's just an enormous amount of episodes. And then there's also the movie. So it's like, this is too much to, to look at. But I did want us to have some basis to compare and contrast at least a little bit the TV show and the movies. So we're focusing on Star Trek The Next Generation, which is a series that came back in 1989 after Classic Trek had been off of TV for nearly three decades, but they brought it back in the early 80s and throughout the 80s as movies with the original cast from the 1960 TV show. The Next Generation brought Star Trek back to television in 1989. And that had seven seasons, but I actually had us watch the season finale of season three and the season opener of season four, a two-part series collectively known as The Best of Both Worlds. And I did that because it's a storyline that applies to the movie we watch, which is Star Trek First Contact, which both of those things have to do with the Borg. So because the Borg was a major storyline of Star Trek First Contact, I thought it would be a good idea to watch those two. Those Those weren't the only two but the two most applicable to the movie TV series episodes as sort of a set the stage, and then we watch the actual movie. And for me, First Contact for me is the best of, they made four movies with the Next Generation cast. I think that that is the best of the four. The other three are almost like movies made specifically for Star Trek fans. I don't really think you would enjoy any of the other three movies, because they're, they're, they're just loaded up with this Easter eggs and references and stuff like that. This one is probably the most approachable. And it's one that I see a lot of people mention is like, if anyone wanted to be introduced to Star Trek back in that era of Star Trek, Picard, Next Generation era, most people say, oh, just watch First Contact. Just watch the movie that we watched today. Because it's the least borging? Uh, it's not the least borging. It's, it's the least boring it's not the most borging. There's a lot more. From a movie perspective, it's the most borgy movie. But I think it's, it's a good movie because overall, I think it has a good story. 
It's unlike other movies and television series for Star Trek because it is a little bit more action-oriented. We're going to get into that in a bit. But I also think it shows a, a grittier, edgier version of Star Trek, which we can get, actually get into. So that's why I recommended that being the movie. If we were going to watch one thing, that that's what we should do. All right. So, The Best of Both Worlds, the two-part television series that we watched. Again, there were other episodes in the entire series that dealt with the Borg. But just to give you an idea, because you're a pop culture nerd, it's hard to not know who the Borg are. A bad guy, they're cybernetic, they assimilate other cultures to create a combination of biological and technological distinctiveness in order to evolve their society by just conquering, killing, and then just taking what they want. And turning it into a big hive mind. And turning it into a big hive mind. So individuality is wiped out. It's all a group consciousness. They're all one essential organism, even though they're individual cybernetic and biological beings. They're all connected to one hive mind with one purpose. So it's kind of a techie type of villain. Again, we're talking about stuff that's more than 25 years old, but it was one of the cooler villains of the Star Trek television series run, uh, mostly for the next generation, and then it became back in a big way after this movie that we watched in the Star Trek Voyager spinoff series. So just in general, what did you think of the television series episodes? Interesting story, interesting plot lines, interesting direction, somehow still made it boring. And I kind of like what you were saying earlier about because it's just all exposition. They, they talk about what's happening, and they talk about what's happening, but it's not even just that. It's they explain everything like three different ways for every step of everything that's happening. And I'm like, okay, move on. I understand you don't have the budget to show us all the stuff, but you don't have to explain it like it's five-year-olds watching, because I promise you five-year-olds aren't watching this. If they are, they're not paying that close attention to try to understand it. Yeah, it's one of the things that happens with some science fiction that gets a little bit too much like a science lesson. There are some aspects of other franchises like classic Doctor Who was actually designed specifically for that purpose to teach children history and science. And it's actually something that they've tried to go back to a little bit in the most recent seasons of Doctor Who. That wasn't really Gene Roddenberry's vision, the man who created Star Trek's vision. He wasn't trying to teach people science and history. It was more future-looking. But there was a lot of, let's try to explain some stuff. And, uh, and all science fiction always has to deal with the, how realistic can we make this? How much should we explain? How much should be left open to the e imagination? Star Trek does have a general tendency to over-explain things. Yeah. And it can get annoying, for even for people who, who like it and are big fans of it, it, it gets old quick. If they wanted to teach people, why not just, like, take the actors and just have them have their own show about, like, reading or something? Yes, LeVar Burton hosts Reading Rainbow. Mike made at least a half a dozen references to that. Every time Jordy LaForge walked on screen, is he going to read a book to us? Yes, Mike, you recognize one of the actors from another thing. Good for you. He did a thing. Did he <laughs> learn that from a book? <laughs> but yeah, like I said, always a lot of talking. This had at least a little bit of action, but it is kind of weird. There's a big space battle in it, and we don't see the space battle. We just fly through the, the floating wreckage of it. I'll say the action in this is 
a couple of lasers between ships, but you don't even see both ships. It's like one ship, then the other ship, and then a couple of like, pose and shoot. And then having the Borg fall down when they get shot over and over again. Yeah, falling, <laughs> falling down like old men, like, all right, I'm gonna just going to lay down here and take a nap. Yes. So it's not the most action-oriented Star Trek television content, but a little bit more than typical. But again, there was also a lot of, again, thought-provoking or cerebral material about the inter- like interpersonal dynamics is a big part of Star Trek. So like the thing in those episodes about Commander Riker being challenged by Commander Shelby for who should take over as the first officer of the Enterprise, and then he's not progressing his Starfleet career. So again, that's an allegory to talk about career advancement and how important your job is to you and whether or not you should be faithful to your friends or stay where you're happy or pursue things. So there's always stuff like that going on in Star Trek that's meant to be thought-provoking and, mm-hmm. and make you think about stuff like that. There's also, again, a lots of allusions to like military traditions, like Picard walking through the ship the night before the battle. Which again, was super interesting. Which, again, not very interesting to you. Again, it's one of those things, it's like, if you really like action... You're not going to like Star Trek in general. If you want to think about this stuff and what it might be like, and if you get into the characters, then the interpersonal drama and dynamics, I think, are interesting to you, are interesting to people. You're also not a big fan of drama or anything that deals with, like, real-life situations. You want entertainment, correct? Right. So those are, the, those are the other reasons why it's like, it's not surprising to me that you don't like Star Trek. Because this is not your kind of thing. Right. It's, it's like, just, I, I'm okay if it's just talking. Like, I mean, I like Clerks. And that's all that movie is, is talking. Yes. There's zero action in that entire movie. Correct. So it's not necessarily that there's no action. It's just what they're talking about and how they're talking about it. I'm like, it's like they're trying to be as boring as possible. Your reaction is very, very common. Yeah. It's one of those things. It's like, it's not like science fiction in general. Star Trek is very much a, people either love it or, I won't even say hate it. I would say they either love it or just don't care for it at all. It just, it either works for them or it doesn't. See, see, for me, it's, they should have taken Seinfeld's tagline about a show about nothing. I understand your criticism. And again, a lot of Star Trek fans are probably screaming because the show <laughs> is about a lot of stuff. Come at me, nerds. It just doesn't interest you. Yeah. So again, that's again, all it is. again what, what does it mean to be a better human, a better human society? How do you deal effectively with people who are different than you? Again, it's the science fiction cover of the people who are different than you in Star Trek are aliens from another planet. They're intended to be an allegory for, yeah. you know, don't be racist or don't be sexist or whatever. But the humans are all above that. And we, and we use alien species as stand-ins for that. And some people are like, well, fuck it. I just want to see the humans act like humans. And that's, you're not really going to get much of that with Star Trek. Right. And I understand that. As you said earlier, I'm watching to try to be entertained, not to try to compare and think about that to my everyday society, like where I am dealing with that shit mm-hmm. every day, all day. I just want to be entertained. I'm not thinking on that level because I don't want to have to think on that level anymore when I'm watching something for entertainment. Understood. Sometimes I actually compare Star Trek television to like a stage play where most of what happens is just exposition. And even if there's like a fight, it's very toned down because it's a small performance space. So there's not going to be 
for, you know, it's not gonna be special effects or people flying around on ropes and stuff like that. So it's gonna be kind of muted and yeah. you have to kind of fill in with your imagination and focus more on what's happening in between the characters and the story. And that's what a Star Trek television show of the past that we're talking about in this episode is more like. Whereas opposed, people like want to watch like a TV show or a movie and see more action and fighting and explosions and battles and stuff like that. And this is more a narrator walks out onto the front of the stage and tells you what just happened off stage. Yeah. And you're like, well, I want to see what happened off stage. I don't want you to tell me about it. But that's what Star Trek, the television series are like. I would almost take it a step further and say it's like a stage play about cable news. <laughs> Again, it's one of those things. It's just like a lot of shows. It's like if the subject matter doesn't interest you, it doesn't really matter how well it's done. Yeah. If it's if again, I'm not going to try to tell you you're wrong. It's like if it doesn't work for you, it doesn't work for you. And, and it sounds like I'm shitting on it. And I'm really like, I have nothing really negative to say about it. In all honesty, it's just. Eh. And like I was saying earlier, that's really. Star Trek is kind of weird in that way. It was like, we, we know from Star Wars and superheroes and other fandoms, when people don't like something, they get really angry about it. I haven't really encountered many people who don't like Star Trek that are mad at it. They just like, eh. It just doesn't, it's like right. people either really love it or they're meh. It doesn't have that same fever pitch type fa fandom as other fandoms in my experience. Yeah. I'd agree with that. And again, and, it's, and there's nothing wrong with that. And that's what it's just like. There's a lot of there's a lot of shows that are like that. But it's like it's weird for an enduring franchise like Star Trek that they keep making new stuff for new TV shows and new movies and stuff like that. It's obviously a huge fucking money maker because they keep making stuff. Yeah. So there is an audience for it. But it is telling though that the reboot that J.J. Abrams did turned it into an action movie. Right. And that's basically why those movies are more popular. Most people nowadays who say they like Star Trek are referring to the J.J. Abrams movies. Yeah, the, and those were made for a mass audience. Yeah. The Star Trek that you just had me watch, I would be like, that's kind of like you order soup and you're like, oh, there's just not enough pepper in my soup. Oh, do you want more? Eh, it's all right. Right. I mean, some of the other movies, again, I mentioned this earlier too, it's like most of the non-J.J. Abrams Star Trek movies I really feel are made only for Star Trek fans. Because we've, we've had this argument or this discussion, especially about the newer Star Wars stuff. It's like, if you only make Star Wars for Star Wars fans, then only Star Wars fans are going to watch it. It's not going to be as popular or, or mm. make as much money as you want. Star Trek seems to have built a strong enough fan base to just say, this is Star Trek. You don't like it? Fuck off. This is it. You like it or not. And there's enough people that like it that it stayed the way it was for a very, very, very long time. And only recently have they been pulled into make it more action-y. Yeah, well, and a part of that, though, is because it's easy for it to make money because it's so cheaply made. Because it's just like a couple sets and they're standing around talking. Yeah, I mean, it's not... It's, I mean, it, I'm, I'm, I'm exaggerating, but you yeah, know what I mean. It's not like classic Doctor Who, which was like really low budget science fiction from the 60s. I mean, the, the original Star Trek series was fairly low budget. It wasn't on screen for very long. They tried to actually go in the opposite direction with the first actual Star Trek movie in 1980. Spent a ton of money and tried to make a super serious movie. But we're not talking about that movie. The Next Generation television series 
it had a really large budget for television, but it ran into the problem of it's a 26-episode season. So you really can't say, oh, we need a month to finish the CGI or to finish the effects. It's like, no, we got to crank out the episodes. So that brings the quality down, generally speaking. And then you also have to remember, this is the early to mid-1990s. So the quality level is down even lower. So even if they had shorter seasons or shorter episodes, they would have more time to make it better. It still wouldn't have been better by today's production standards. Yeah, but I guess maybe just for me, but those things that you're saying about like production standards and stuff and stuff, it was kind of fun to make fun of it a little bit, but it didn't bother me at all. Like it didn't take me away from it at all. None of that. I'm just saying because Star Trek is the way that it is, it's compared to other things, it's cheap to make. Kind of like a drama is you just got a few sets. You've got people standing around talking. There's not a lot of post-production that goes into it. There's not a lot of extra sets that have to be made all the time. There's not a lot of extra cost in like the action scenes and the blowing up of things and stuff like that. So that keeps the budget low comparatively. So that, that's all I was going with. It. It's cheaper to make, so it's easier to make money. So yeah, they had a high budget for the time-ish. I'm sure if you compare it to other similar things, it probably looked better than other similar things in the time because it had the higher budget, because like you said, it had a higher following. But again, relative, if you were to compare it to movies and stuff like that, if there was a Star Wars series at the time, the amount it would have cost to make the Star Wars series at the time, it would have been a lot harder for that to make money. That's where I was going with it. The reason I had us watch those two episodes was just so, again, it's almost a pop culture phenomenon that you know, you've heard of the Borg. But I thought one of the things that would make the movie make a little bit more sense in terms of why does Captain Picard know so much about the Borg? Why is Captain Picard personally so mad at the Borg? I thought that that would make more sense yeah. if, if we watched those two episodes before we watched the movie. And it did help. Like, so, I think I would have picked up on most of it throughout it, but knowing it beforehand made it make sense earlier. Right, because it actually kind of flows narratively well together. Yeah. I mean, even though, again, there were three more seasons of the television, four more seasons of the television series after what we watched, and then there was also a whole bunch of additional stuff and other stuff, too, but I think it helped. So the movie we watched was Star Trek First Contact, which, again, is my favorite of the four Next Generation films. And I liked it because Star Trek is often criticized as having too much of an idealized view of the future of humanity. A lot of that is built on sort of what even happens in, in the real world, the idolization of our history. Like, again, and I don't want to go off on a political tangent, but like how the founding fathers of the United States are fetishized in our contemporary culture. Something similar to that happens in Star Trek culture is like, oh, the past that we evolved from, we, we made this incredible leap forward in, in human evolution because we, we overcame all this stuff. And it's been so idealized, this actually, this movie with a time travel premise takes us back to pretty much the pivotal events in Star Trek history where humanity in the aftermath of World War III creates its first warp-capable starship and journeys far enough away from Earth to get noticed by another alien race, the Vulcans, and find out that they're not alone in the universe. And that event triggers in Star Trek timeline 50 to 100 years of hard work 
to actually improve the human race. But it's interesting to go back to that point and show that the human race was kind of in a, a rough and violent place. And even the people who they were idolizing, like Zephyr and Cochran, who created the first warp drive and piloted that ship, was not the heroic figure that he's made out to be in Star Trek history. So wait a minute. Are you telling me that great men from history may have been deeply flawed and not perfect? In fictional universes. Oh, okay. (laughs) So the fact that we see a a rougher, edgier uh, humanity. The other thing I also always look at this for, too, is I think that this movie was really well written because it has inside jokes not only for Star Trek fans, but it also has inside jokes for people who are not Star Trek fans. Because it has characters that are just like, oh, so you're so heroic, checking through the stars, kind of like making fun of them. And then even saying it's like, and then like not wanting to be a part of it. Also showing that in the encounters with the Borg, that humanity isn't quite as evolved as it likes to think it is. Once you get underneath that shiny veneer, when things are nice and perfect, everything's going well. But when the shit hits the fan with a potential civilization destroying power like the Borg, then the real humanity comes out. So there's little layers, meta layers on there for people who both would criticize Star Trek for being too safe and clean, as well as showing maybe a more realistic side of that history, as well as also allowing some of the characters, especially Patrick Stewart's Jean-Luc Picard, to be much more emotionally expressive mm-hmm. in that movie than he was ever really allowed to be in the entire television series. Which, positive note, he did fantastic in it. Yes. I, I think his acting was light years <laughs> beyond what anybody else was doing in that movie. Yes, and again, it's, and it's another example of most of the time, some of it has to do with acting ability. Yeah. But most of the time... They're just not allowed to do that. It's like they were like Ronald Moore, who was involved in the production of, of this movie and who also was involved in, in Deep Space Nine and who also went on to do Battlestar Galactica. He got his, not his start, but he did a lot of work in Star Trek. The episodes that he was a part of, no matter what series it was, were usually the edgier, grittier episodes of Star mm-hmm. Trek, but they were only allowed to go so far. And this movie tried to take a few more steps to go a little bit further. Like they were thing again... It didn't really seem like a big deal and probably wouldn't seem like a big deal to uh, people who don't know Star Trek too much. But the fact that Captain Picard kills two of his own people. Right. Because they have been assimilated by the Borg and murdering them would be a kindness compared to what was happening to them after they got assimilated is beyond what you would ever have seen in a Star Trek television episode of that time. Again, I have not seen the new Picard and Discovery series. Which partially, I imagine, is because of censorship and stuff like that. But also, I would imagine partially because that as a character is a guy that would sacrifice everything to not have to kill somebody. Yes. He was definitely the peacemaker and the ambassador, not the warrior. Right. But he got pushed to a brink. And again... The whole how evolved humanity has become, well, in the television series, you know, he gets assimilated by the Borg and his individuality is stripped from him. So he has no control over who he is as a person and they use his knowledge of humanity to devastate the fleet that was amassing at Wolf 359. So he's deeply wounded, both emotionally and was wounded physically about what happened to him 
and that sort of triggered a more baser human response. So he was a lot more brutal and to the point is like, no, fuck it. If we don't kill these things, they're going to destroy the entire human race. And that is definitely not the guy that's going to punch a giant rubber space lizard in the face. No, he is definitely not James T. Kirk. I did not have us watch Star Trek Generations, which was actually the movie before this, which actually Kirk and Picard are in the movie together. Yeah, he's definitely the more peaceful ambassador type guy. But again, and this happens in a lot of science fiction. It's like, oh, well, if all of humanity is at risk, then fuck it. We just got to do whatever we got to do. But yeah. it was a line. Again, he has lots of nice moments in the movies where he, again, he kills two of his people. Yeah, he has lots of like angry speeches. Then he also gets to play off of Lily, played by Alfred Woodard, gets to be sort of the other sort of like person out of time who's from the 21st century. Who still has emotions and Yeah, whatnot. so she's, she's, she's raw and she's, conf- she's confused about what's going on. And when she figures out, she gets angry and then he gets angry at her for not understanding. And, and that allowed for a, a different type of dynamic because there's a scene where Picard basically says a stupid strategy of when we're not going to blow up the ship. The crew objects, but they're just like, okay, that's what the captain says. So we have to do what the captain says. And then she's like, fuck it, that's stupid. And then he's like, okay, yeah, you're right. We should blow up the ship. So that was one of those things. Again, another thing that was criticized in Star Trek, why would people not be more like her reaction of like, no, this is wrong. We should do this other thing instead. Again, not very Star Trek-y. Like, oh, yes, we must make this noble sacrifice because we are better people. And that's not the way that this show is handled or movie is handled, which again makes it rather somewhat unique in Star Trek stories and why it's one of my favorite Star Trek stories. Well, jumping back to acting ability, I will say the second in command or first officer, whatever, there's one point in the TV show and his acting, incredible acting ability where he was trying to give an attitude, stern, stink eye. And my reaction was, did he just have a stroke? What's, <laughs> what's going on there? Yeah, there's probably a reason why you haven't seen too many of the other actors in Star Trek in other things. He's talking about Jonathan Frakes, who plays William Riker, who actually also directed the movie Star Trek First Contact. And actually, that is pretty much what he does now. He directs mostly television stuff. I'll say, as an actor, he's a very good director. Yes. So, I mean, again, they never... Star Trek itself, again, going back to the Star Trek, the original series, for all of the great idealistic blah, blah, blah stuff, it was also incredibly campy. Yeah. So... It was never really a showcase of amazing acting ability. What are you saying? <laughs> exactly. So even like, uh, the, and, and again, what William Shatner did with that, that's what they were asking him to do, is to play that really over-the-top, weird, dramatic delivery type thing, because that was what they wanted. And it was also in the 1960s, and they were doing this weird, again, back then, a science fiction show. I mean, it was ahead of its time. I mean, more people back then were mad about, there's a black woman on the show? What? What? So, I mean, it was all stupid shit like that. So, I mean, it was very much ahead of its time, which is what Gene Rodman was showing. It's like, all of the stupid shit that we are killing each other over is fucking dumb. We should just all get along. Right. And a lot of people call that the Star Trek kumbaya that a lot of people criticize it for. 
But again, a lot of the acting ends up being over-the-top, dramatic, campy type stuff. And that carries over. There are moments where the next generation is a little bit toned down in that regard. But it, it drifts into the campy drama stuff occasionally. I really want to yell con now. <laughs> and that's the type of stuff, again, The Wrath of Khan is probably the best James T. Kirk movie. Yeah, I mean, again, generally speaking, Star Trek is so popular. There's a lot of things that, are, that you were saying, like stopping the film, like explaining what a Klingon is, explaining, you know, I'm like, dude, I know. I don't ever have had to watch anything Star Trek before to know these things because you're born knowing these things, more or less. You can't really be alive in pop culture and not know the basics of Star Trek. True. And, and again, in some respects, maybe that's what also works against it, especially it for making the Star Trek, the original series, then Star Trek Next Generation. Then they did the spinoff shows of Voyager and um, Deep Space Nine. They even did a prequel series called Enterprise, which was fucking horrible. And then they did a bunch of movies. I mean, the movie that we watched was the eighth mm -hmm. overall Star Trek movie at that time. They made four Next Generation movies. So, I mean, there's so much Star Trek stuff out there. And again, even part of the criticism of the J.J. Abrams movies, really? We're going to go back to James T. Kirk? They just rebooted and just did that again instead of doing something different. Again, I can't really comment on Discovery or the new Picard series because I haven't seen them. I've heard things that they're trying to do some things to get out of the Star Trek box. But it also comes back to that whole thing we've talked about before, too. It's like, it's making money. Someone must be watching it. Right. Why not just give people more of the same? Drive that truck into the ground. Exactly. The other, not so much Generations and, and First Contact that we watched, the other two movies of this that that cast made after this, I, even as a Star Trek fan, found tremendously underwhelming. <laughs> They were pretty much just fan service movies that weren't even terribly interesting. But they made money. And again, they, I, I, that's why, like, even when they were pitching the reboot with J.J. Abrams, no one's like, oh, no, I don't know if we should bring back Star It's like, yes, let's bring... It's like, they right. knew it would make money. And maybe that's too... Maybe that works against it as much as it works for it. They were like, what if we make Star Trek more like Star Wars? To me, that's what J.J. Abrams did. Well, no, J.J. Abrams did the same thing with Star Trek that he did with, with Star Wars. Oh, okay. Um, I'll reboot it and do the exact same story as the thing that came before. With more action. With more action. Again, yeah, no originality in terms of character and story, but I'll make an action movie out of it so people will like it. But not a lot of originality in terms of trying to do something different with the story. But again, that's for another time. One of the other things that I thought was interesting about this particular movie, going back again to that whole evolution of humanity, how do we get better thing, there were three different aspects of that in this movie. We have how Starfleet and the Federation, United Federation of Planets evolved and got better, mm -hmm. which, you know, Picard argues that that's the right way of doing it. Because, again, the conceit of the movie is since he has that 21st century woman following him around, they have to explain to him, and also to a certain extent, James Cromwell's character, who plays Zephyrin Cochran, is like, oh no, and like, yeah, like 50 years from now, there'll be no war, no poverty, and in the future, there's no money, we don't have an economy that's based on the accumulation of wealth, all this type of stuff, and they're like, yeah, you guys are fucking nuts. So that yeah. sort of thing of how to improve society, and then you have the character of Data has always been used throughout the next generation of, he's an android, who really wants to be more human. 
And that part of the plot of this movie is the poor queen, which was awesome, and she was a new character we can come back to, tries to basically morph him into giving him some human abilities so he can say, you want to be more human? I can help you be more human. So his evolution of trying to go from artificial to human, and then the way that the Borg approach improvement of we're just going to kill you, who's ever in our way, take people over, turn them into mindless drones to serve the collective consciousness, uh, steal your technology and glob it onto our own and basically make ourselves better by conquering. Whereas the Boar Queen says, you know, we're, we're trying to bring people closer to perfection. Data says, well, you're just doing that through conquering. So it's just a two different worldviews, not just within Star Trek, but just in general. Advancement through conquest or advancement through enlightenment? Again, real world human history has had to deal with that a lot. Right. Safety of science fiction. Oh, it, it's just, it's make-believe. Yeah, we're not talking about like the <laughs> Europeans coming in and settling the quote-unquote new world and conquering it because it was their manifest destiny. I'm using lots of air quotes. It's like, oh no, it's, it's just science fiction. Don't think about, but that's obviously what you're talking about. Yeah. But it's science fiction, so you're just, it's just an, an excuse to talk about what's the right way to improve and advance a society. Right. And I mean, it brings up an interesting conversation on that front as well of okay they're they're conquering but they're assimilating so they're they're wiping out individuality but they're also advancing themselves by bringing more culture and more technology and more of those differences into everybody so does the ends justify the means is everybody going to be happier maybe everybody is happier as a borg we don't know because they don't talk really it's hard to explain to somebody your own happiness comparatively to theirs because you can't really share that level of happiness. I mean, you can't explain it. Well, I've always said that the easiest way to be unhappy is to live by someone else's definition of happiness. So one of the new wrinkles to the Borg storyline is prior to this movie, they were just these mindless cyborgs. We meet the Borg queen in this movie to show that there is some type of individual consciousness above the collective consciousness who actually is directing things in a more way that people would seem to relate to better. Like there's some type of like hierarchy of this. There is someone in charge who is, they're not all mindless, which is actually explored in future television episodes. We won't, I won't bore you by going down those roads. But that was an interesting new dimension to the Borg. You say interesting new dimension, and to me, that's actually the one biggest thing I didn't like about it, because that means the hive mind isn't really a hive mind. Again, it gets explored. They, a lot of the stuff that happens in Star Trek, it's just like any other franchises. They knew in part where they were going with this, that they were going to be exploring that, and they do explore that in a lot of other television episodes. In fact, Star Trek Voyager which was one of the spinoff series, one of its major storylines is the Borg. And the Borg Queen, played by a different actress, is in that television show. And that's also where Seven of Nine, tertiary adjunct to Unimatrix 001 from Star Trek Voyager, is a Borg who was assimilated, a human female child assimilated by the Borg, and then she gets rescued and separated by, from the collective as an adult 
And then she struggles with that in Star Trek Voyager. So that whole idea of what is the collective and what, how can people be individual and also be, gets explored later. So when I say it added an interesting dimension, it made the Borg more interesting to include in future storylines. So what you just said is not wrong. It's just that this movie only opened the door. And I'm responding to it as being something good because I have the knowledge of having seen all the stuff that came after it. So those different aspects of what's the right way to improve yourself or improve society. Data often gets just used as a stand-in for he's an android, so he's even more boring and talky (laughs) (laughs) because he's an android and he wants to try to become more human. So they played around with like, there's a joke in in the movie about he has an emotion chip, which we learned about well before this movie but he can turn it off so he doesn't have to think emotionally. And then the Borg Queen turns it back on. And then we see the Borg Queen gives him a quote-unquote blowjob because she (laughs) grafts, as we called it, because she grafts skin onto his cybernetic arm and then she blows on it and it gets all goose pimply. And he's like... (gasps) (laughs) So yeah, the whole temptation of the flesh thing. It's like, oh, you want to be human? And then, of course, also the allusion to... so. You like fucking? But that's not what she actually says. Uh, she basically <laughs> says that. <laughs> Which is a joke to people who know it, because in the actual television series, Data does have sex with Tasha Yar, one of the characters in the early seasons of the show. So there was that whole idea, too, of, yeah, you want to be human. There's this whole other thing about being human. You can not only have emotions, but you can feel and you can have sex. And isn't that good? So that was another sort of element, and they show sort of that temptation of Data that she thinks she's found a potential mate or whatever by partially turning Data somewhat human. And then we learn at the the end that, you know, he contemplated her offer for 0.68 seconds, which is eternity for an android. So they played up with that angle, too, of how much, what's the biological, technological balance of the Borg? How biological are they? How technological are they? Do the biological parts retain any of that whole aspect mm-hmm. of biology? And also using data as a way to, it's easier to use him as a character to tempt him because he doesn't have flesh. He's well, not human. It was also interesting that he is a machine turning more into a human and they are humans turning more into machines. And I feel like the data character in general, as an android that wants to be a real boy, probably just really speaks to you. You probably really connect to that. Uh, no, I don't. That, that's not your favorite character? <laughs> uh, no, it's, it's hard to pick a favorite character. I do, I do like Data a lot. He is, again, I think we've joked about this before in the past off mic, that Star Trek does have a quote-unquote sense of humor, but they're jokes that you wouldn't laugh at. So there are a lot of times where Data plays the quote-unquote straight man and delivers funny lines, that are Star Trek funny, not Mm -hmm. comedy funny. Because of that, he plays up that angle. So they they use him to good comic relief in in other episodes. But I would just rephrase what you had just said about you have humanity, all biological, you have data, all artificial, and the Borg are trying to fuse them together as cyborgs, but also having some control over the collective consciousness with the queen. But that whole idea of the movie is 25 years old. So it's hard to 
it's hard to appreciate the movie now the way it was appreciated when it came out. This is a fucking terrible analogy. When The Matrix came out, it blew a lot of people's minds. Right. Because the internet was still a relatively young thing. What's real, man? Right. And like artificial intelligence and virtual reality and how much and computers can control everything. Whoa, that seems a little too... So, I mean, so at the time, The Matrix was kind of mind-blowing. Nowadays, it's kind of... Eh. So back then, when Star Trek did The Borg... Again, like everything in Star Trek, it's an allegory for something. It's an allegory for letting our technology take over our lives. We can relate to that now in 2021. Mm -hmm. In 1996, it was a more groundbreaking idea. (laughs) Because we didn't really have the World Wide Web had not completely exploded yet. We didn't have smartphones or social media or any of this technological connectivity that we all just take for granted today. Right. So this sort of like parable of don't go too far with integrating technology into your life, which is what the Borg was representing, plus the whole idea of what is social media today other than groupthink on steroids, a collective consciousness. I'm mad about this political issue because the collective consciousness is mad about this political issue, and I'm part of the collective consciousness, so I'm mad about this political issue. What is free will and how much you just go along with what you're told? Do you have any free will? Is it an illusion? Are you controlled by your technology? Again, in the 90s when this came out, it was more thought-provoking. Now it's just like, yeah. <laughs> well, but one could argue it's actually almost more thought-provoking now that we do have that experience and you can actually make that connection. I agree. The only thing I would say is that now... That movie could be so much better if it was made now. You can say that about any movie. You can, make, you can say that about any movie. And I don't, I don't mean the movie-making technology. I mean the underlying story and how you could connect it to what's happening in the real world Yeah, would be very interesting to see now. But again, that's one of the reasons why I, I, I've always liked Star Trek because it's one of those weird things. And Star Trek always struggled with this. It's trying to show us 400 years into the future. It obviously doesn't get all of the technology right. Right. Some of it is kind of, you look at some of it, it's like, well, that's kind of fucking stupid, especially considering how we know technology actually evolved. Like, and, we have better stuff now than what they're saying is 400 years in the future. Right. Although some of it, though, I mean, came true, like the original communicators. So, yeah, so some of it is correct. Other things were just a little bit yeah. off. But, which is, again, why it also made some people have a little bit of disconnect there, too, is like, Humanity always, in general, has had a difficult time accurately predicting the future. When we think of the future, we imagine it to be too much like the present. Mm-hmm. And, then, and that's why a lot of things don't hold up well over time. Right. You look back, it's like, ooh, that did not age well. And some of Star Trek can be like that. But I, I really think that that movie holds up well. I, I still think it's entertaining. I still think its ideas are good, both in terms of Star Trek storytelling and, and storytelling in, in general. But again, I'm a story guy. I don't mind narrative. I don't mind a lot of the action happening off stage or just being explained to me. I don't mind the interpersonal dynamics as allegory for real life situations, which are not really entertaining, but are more thought provoking. All of that stuff is right up my alley as the stuff I like to watch. 
And that's why I like Star Trek so much. And that's why I understand a lot of people don't. Because if it doesn't, again, going back, I, can't, I, hate, I hate to keep coming back here. But again, this is why I don't like it. But this is why J.J. Abrams had to do what he did. Right. He had to make, it an a- make them action movies or else people wouldn't fucking watch them. Or, again, the only ones that would would be Star Trek fans, and that wasn't going to work anymore. You needed... It had to appeal to everybody. Yeah. A lot of the type of science fiction like Star Trek stays in books. Yeah. It's the stuff that people like to read. It's usually not the stuff that ends up on a screen. Because, again, like we've, we've talked before on the podcast, it's like, it's a visual medium. You want to watch something happen. Yeah. If you just watching people talk especially if they're just talking about stuff that happened why am i watching this like it could be a podcast (laughs) that makes a lot of sense so to me that's why most of the other science fiction that i can think of that's like that are great science fiction books i've read yeah the science fiction and, and also in part also explains why some of the science fiction that does make it into tv and movies sucks so much because they do the really dumbed down action-y killer robots and weird things from space and other stuff that can turn into like an action movie type thing and not cerebral thought-provoking stuff. Right. Yeah, and that's, I mean, again, peek behind the curtain. We're watching the episodes. I'm like, I can work out and like lift while we're doing this, right? Because I'm not going to miss anything if I'm not looking at the screen, right? Yeah, I would say that that's probably true. Other than, again... It varies by person. It's like, again, it's weird to say this because we're, this is a podcast. You're listening to us. You're not watching us. There's a lot of times in Star Trek, you probably don't need to look at the screen. Right. The television show. There are moments where you probably should look up, but it is very verbal. It's not like I wasn't looking at the screen. It's just Mm -hmm. if I'm looking at the ceiling for a couple minutes while I'm lifting, it's not going to, I'm not going to miss anything. I'm still going to hear what's going on. Well, that, my point is that even if you're not looking at the screen, if you're still listening, right. you'll hear the important line of dialogue. No, that's exactly what I'm saying, though. Right. That, that's, I don't have to stare at the screen the whole time. Right. I can look away for portions and still get the gist of what's going on, as long as you're glancing at it every once in a while to see what's mm-hmm. who's where, right. pretty much. And just like a lot of drama... It gets over-dramatized, and they, it, things get stretched out. Yeah. It's like, we get it. Move on. That happens, again, an awful lot in the, tel- the older television series because, again, 26-episode seasons, everything gets stretched out. So there's only maybe a dozen episodes a season that are actually really good to watch. Mm-hmm. I can binge-watch them while doing something else easily, but... If you could understand the dialogue, you could watch it at, like, three times speed and be fine. Right. I would say that's true. This is why, again, you, you've been pressing for me since the beginning of the podcast to do an episode on Star Trek. I don't know if this helped or not to help you understand why it's a difficult topic for me to discuss. Because it's one of those weird things. It's like two Star Trek nerds who really love Star Trek could record some episodes that other deep Star Trek nerds would like to listen to. Right. Again, I don't really have a lot negative to say about it. I think for what it's trying to do, it's doing it very, very well. (laughs) And like you said, it's just not super interesting to me. I could mock watch the shit out of this. And not in a disrespectful way. It's just that's how I could make it fun and actually get through it. Yes. But with that much exposition, 
it's hard for my mind to just not go into jokes. Right. And we've talked about this before. This is why you like the Orville. Yeah. The Orville is Star Trek with dick jokes. Jokes in general. Jokes in general. Yeah. And maybe I take it too seriously, and maybe a lot of Star Trek fans take Star Trek too seriously, because again, Star Trek's common criticism is it fucking takes itself too seriously, which is why it's difficult for a lot of people to watch it. My thought on it was maybe if you could explain to me why it's so interesting and so good to you, it might spark in me more of an interest to want to watch it and want to enjoy it more. Whereas at this point, the little bit that I do know about it, there's just not enough interest for me to want to like it. It's just like any other fandom. Mm -hmm. If you find somebody that's passionate about it that can explain why it's so awesome, Mm -hmm. it can make a casual person enjoy it some. Maybe it could bring more people like me into a realm of appreciating it more. And I'll be honest with you, after watching today's, I do appreciate it more. I understand a little bit more why and how it's interesting. I'm not saying I'm going to go sit and start watching all of them, but if I'm looking for something to play in the background where visually I'm, I'm mostly busy and I can only glance at it, that might be something I start going to. So success there. The conversations that Star Trek spark are not about Star Trek. And I think that that makes it, it's not unique. It's not the only thing that does that, but for something that is actual entertainment, it's not a documentary series or a news program or something like that, but for something that's actually entertainment, it's weird a little bit in that sense Mm. that even when Star Trek nerds talk about Star Trek, they're more talking about the concepts that were addressed or the the thoughts that it made you bring it back to the real world and, and try to relate it to something more so than the actual what happened in the show and the interpersonal dynamics and stuff like that. Right. In my opinion. I mean, again, there's, just like any other fandom, there's more than one type of Star Trek nerd. So I'm not trying to say yeah. that I'm the typical Star Trek nerd or my Star Trek nerddom or fandom represents all Star Trek fans. Definitely not saying that at all. But for me, that's my appreciation for Star Trek is the concepts, the ideas, the thought-provoking stuff. Even I, when I rewatch it, don't really pay much attention to it. I binge watch stuff, and then I remember concepts and thought-provoking stuff more than I do the actual story and stuff like that. Fair enough. I mean, I gotta say, there is a lot of draw to the idea of exploring space, seeing what's out there, finding new civilizations, finding new species, finding different ways of living. That does sound exciting, and that does sound fun and adventurous in a very Lewis and Clark type way. There's always a lure of exploration and what it could mean and what it could bring. And so that's another, I think, part of Star Trek that really gets people thinking and really gets people wanting to be part of it, in my opinion. And I I guess for somebody like me, exploring that more, from, from what I've seen anyway, The episodes that I've seen have all been very political and not so much exploration. And for me, I would like to see more exploration. Again, that's another, it's a common criticism and a deserved criticism. But again, Star Trek is an allegory. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's weird. It is and is not 
about space exploration. It's an allegory to talk about politics, human rights, equality, society, culture. How can we find a way to be better people? Right. That is not fucking entertaining. So let's have phasers and photon torpedoes and let's shoot at things. And But obviously the not too concealed subtext is political right. stuff, human rights stuff. It was born in the 1960s, the, the franchise itself. So, I mean, peace and love, man. And one of the most transformative decades in recent human history yeah. is where this came from. But again, you got to... And that's where something, again, it, it takes itself very seriously, and it takes a very realistic approach. Like mm-hmm. you said, that there's a lot of criticism that it's not realistic, but again, going 400 years in the future for the human race, I think it's very realistic that we could get to that point. But then they're encountering other species, other cultures that aren't at that point, you know, species that are more warlike, more conquering, that do want to assimilate take uh, exploration as, a, as aggression or something like that, where you will need those phasers, those photon torpedoes, or you're just going to get obliterated. And, and that kind of goes into probably another thing that they explore is as peaceful as you want to be, you still need a bigger stick. Star Trek Enterprise, the spinoff series, we all hoped that that's what it would be. Mm-hmm. It fucking sucked. <laughs> it had the potential to do some of the things that you just described and that's what we were hoping to see yeah because enterprise was set before james t kirk okay and just about a century after the events of the movie that we just watched which is also another century before kirk so it would have been like right when they're starting to explore yes and in that series they actually showed how the vulcans both helped and held humanity back because the Vulcans have an older, much older civilization and they were much more logical and, and non-emotional and basically were like, yeah, you guys got to fucking get your shit together before you can go into space. Right. If you got as emotional <clears throat> as you are, you're going to get fucked up if you go to space right now. Right. And they showed, they, again, it could have been so much better. It was, yeah. a, it was a very bad show. Yeah. Like I was saying, there's, there's a lot of interesting concepts, and there's so much that could have and still can be done with it. Not my cup of tea as is, but that's okay. There's a lot of things that are. True. Exactly. Yeah, it's not like you're going to get your nerd card revoked for not liking Star right. Trek. I mean, to me, it's kind of like Lord of the Rings. Very, very similar to Lord of the Rings, actually, where I fully see the concept and why it's so beloved. It just doesn't speak to me. I guess my ending quote would be one of the things that really made me laugh. At one point during the movie when the Borg Queen had Data strapped down and they were basically having a, a war of words and Data is talking and talking and talking and the Borg Queen is like, do you always talk this much? <laughs> and I was like, this is basically, that's Mike's metaphorical rating for Star Trek. <laughs> do you always talk this much? Maybe just as a combi- as our collective consciousness, <laughs> our collective drone metaphorical rating is, do you always talk this much? He does. And so does Star Trek. Thank you for listening to Fanboy and the Hater. We really appreciate it and would love to hear your feedback. Give us a rating. Write a review. 
Reach out to us on Twitter at FanboyAndHater. Email us at TheFanboyAndTheHater at gmail.com. You can find all of our episodes on our website, FanboyAndHater.Podbean.com. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N. Where you can download the free Podbean mobile app for Android and iOS. You can also find us on all major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and many more. Once again, thanks for listening to The Fanboy and the Hater.